won't say anymore because it just would wreck me this morning. But that was beautiful. Thank you. I just got goose pimples when I heard John's message of communion this morning, that verse from John um, about no greater love hath no man dying, laying his life down for us is just... Just yeah, it's just magnificent, and the ministry this morning was just on point. And just to piggyback that, did anyone buy? This is a crazy question. Anyone buy any shoes over the Christmas period? Is that like every woman in the house? <laughs> a new pair of shoes. Well, I believe it's a prophetic, a prophetic statement that you bought new shoes because I believe that this year you are stepping into new shoes. There's been a time and a season where your shoes have felt uncomfortable or restricted, but this is the season for you in those new shoes. It's like I've got a, that song, these boots are made for walking, a good old Nancy Sinatra track echoing through my mind because these boots are made for walking for you in 2018. So I'm declaring over the people that bought new shoes, it is your time, it is your new walk and new um, focus on life. So I'm just going to pray for people who bought new shoes. Dear Heavenly Father, I commit this word to you, Lord God. I thank you that you are proclaiming over their lives today, Lord God, that those new shoes are a prophetic statement that they are walking into a new season and a new life this year, that they are going to go into places and see people and new adventures await them because of the shoes that they have declared and bought and will walk in this year, that the old shoes do no longer fit, but these new shoes are the shoes that they will walk into. And I declare this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. And there's also, just to piggyback also one more thing, you talked about chronic illness. There's a person here today who's been suffering chronic back pain, but you have got in your wallet the name and number of a second opinion. And I feel God is telling you today to see that second opinion, to pull that number out that someone's given to you and you've ummed and ahed about it, but just go and get a second opinion. And I don't know what for what reason, other than just say, God's just saying, just do it. Just get up and do it. So if that's you today, I'd love to talk and pray for you after the service. Alrighty. So excellent. So like most Australian families over the summer break, uh, we made them we made the pilgrimage to the flat pack world of IKEA. And I do have a husband and two beautiful children. I've got a son who's three, who's a three-nager, who runs the world, girls know, who runs the world, three-year-olds. And I have a 10-month-old. But my husband's actually at work today, bless his cotton socks. Um, but he, yeah, we went to IKEA to buy a new pantry. And I don't know, I don't know what it is about IKEA, but it just sort of... I don't know, it makes me a bit annoyed when I just walk in the doors. It's just something about the place. But we built a new pantry. We walked home with 34 boxes of like pieces of a pantry, 34 of them, because my husband counted them. And it took him 22 hours to assemble a pantry. And he had four words. He said, this is a nightmare. And I've never known so many different intonations of the phrase, this is a nightmare. We had, this is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. So that was where our summer break was held. And I think John was saying, those who are pale skinned, that'll be us because we were indoors building. Well, I wasn't building a pantry. My husband was building a pantry. And he fixes aeroplanes. Anyone flying over the next few weeks? <laughs> anyway, this is a nightmare. Anyway. <laughs> so, ah, oh dear, let's get into this message today. I just pray, Lord God, that you, the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart, 
be pleasing in your sight, Lord God, that you're my rock and my redeemer. And I just give this over to you and to this place. And I pray that the words that are going to be expressed today and the message is going to be hit some people in the heart and in their mind and just challenge them and change them for your greater good. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay. So today I'm going to be looking at Saul's life in a message titled, All for His Glory. And the heart behind this story is found in a pivotal set of circumstances that impacted my past and have and will continue, continue to alter my future. Because I speak from a place of the redemptive power of a Christ, a love which knows no end and a grace which never ceases to amaze me every single day that I have breath. Like, I don't know whether you're one to make New Year's resolutions. As Charles mentioned, 2017 was a bit of a challenging year. And halfway through the year, God gave me a statement to really sink my teeth into. And it was, don't sweat the small things, coming from the verse Matthew 6, 34. But for 2018, I felt that it was time to frame this year with, with, the, with the words, all for his glory. And this title or statement came during a real a God intervention where God just seized my heart. He just called my number and got my attention. And I know it's going to be hard for you to believe, but I'm actually a sinner. I know. It's just you're looking at me going, she can't be a sinner. But I am a sinner. I am. And last year, towards the end of the year, I was thinking some pretty terrible thoughts. And I'm thinking those terrible thoughts about people. Can you believe it? Because I'm sure you never think or criticise or think anything about other people. But yes, I know, I'm, I'm shocked. But I did. Last year I was thinking about one particular person and I was sitting in a friend's church service and I, I was invited along just to be with her. And then the worship leader got up to sing and I, and I just, sat, just looked at them and thought, oh my goodness, they are so flat. Their singing was so bad. And I'm looking around, someone else can hear this? Really? Okay. And I, but I'm sure you've never thought that because it's never happened here. And, you know, but I was just, and I'm glad the lights were dim because I'd like to say that I had a poker face on and I was just worshipping regardless. But thank goodness the lights were dim because I think if you'd seen my face, you would have seen. I looked like I had a rotten fish under my nose. I don't, not very good, I'm Italian, so I'm not very good at hiding my emotions. But um, anyway, I was thinking, oh, this is awful. But then the worship finished and I thought, thank goodness that's over. Then when the ministry came up, they were on point, walked away going, oh, church was great, everything's good in the world, and continued on. And I was driving home still thinking about, you know, that worship leader and everything, and God just grabbed my attention and he said, Annalie, and you know when God mentions your name, you're in a little bit of doo-doo. So I said, he said, you, Annalie, have taken the glory away from me. Uh, what? No, no, not me. You, Annalie, have stolen my glory. And I started responded. I said, you're wrong, which is not a great way to respond to God the Father or creator of the universe. You're wrong. I said, no, of all the people, like not me, come on, I'm always singing your glory. I'm worshipping you every day of my life. I, I love you, Lord. I, my, my life is a declaration of how great you are. And as if, and I, and I, I just thought, glory, glory, no way. I sing that song, I will rise, that beneath the water song. And in, there's a phrase in the bridge that says, no one can steal your glory for it is yours alone. And I sing that with the 
most, with the deepest passion, Lord. No one can steal your glory. But he said, you only have stolen my glory because he said, the worship leader was worshipping me. And as you criticised and drew the attention onto yourself and how it made you feel, you made it about you. Then you have stolen my glory. Game, set, match. But it didn't end there because there's more to learn, isn't there? Because God always just reveals more to you. And he started to speak to me through verses I knew so well out of the Bible. He spoke from Matthew 7, 3, says so clearly, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to notice the beam in your own eye? Because he said, every time you criticise anyone, you judge anyone, or you rival anyone, you are diminishing the very creation contained in the human being that we examine. God has created them perfect in his eyes, yet as we criticise and look at them in a negative way, or judge them or think about them, we are detracting from the greatest creation standing before us. When we linger and resent and find fault with others, we are criticising God's creation. It's like we're saying, sorry God, it's just not good enough. And we take the glory from God himself. And as I began to reflect on these thoughts, you know, God led me to the story of Saul. And I started to read it and there were three points, all of which address an issue of self-importance. It leapt from the pages and into my heart and it's from this basis that I want to share with you today. Highlighting in particular the road of self-importance, what it looks like and where it leads. I believe that this has opened my eyes to the potential of walking down a path of self-destruction. There may be some people here today who also need to re-examine their hearts, setting their gauge for 2018 in a new direction. This too might be your crossroads moment. And I never thought of myself as a judgy person. I really didn't. Like, I mean, you think things, but I don't... To pull that person down, I didn't really think that that was in my heart. But when, when God says it's an issue of self-importance, it is an issue of self-importance. I don't think I'm better than anyone. I just, it's, but this is an issue of self-importance. So it's something to really make sure we're mindful of. Because um, when, when I think of self-importance, I think someone who thinks they're better than everyone else. And, you know, a bit of, what is it that's saying? A lot of Kanye, or a little bit less Kanye or something. That confidence with a little bit less Kanye. But it's more than that. I think it's just... Uh, Self-importance can be reflected in so many different ways and that's where Saul is an amazing story to look at. So my three points today, when we steal the plan, when we steal the victory and when we cease to be part of the future. So firstly, point one, when we steal the plan. So firstly, Saul's rise to power was not actually a God-ordained moment. It did eventually become that way, but it wasn't because God saw a position and he needed to fill it. In fact, it was the elders of Israel who were so desperately looking and comparing themselves to other people. You know, their focus was off God and on their own needs and ideas and beliefs and that they thought they knew better than God himself. In fact, in the message version from where all my scriptures come from today, um, in the passage of chapter 8, it's titled, Rejecting God as King. It says in verses 4 to 5, Fed up, all the elders of Israel got together and confronted Samuel at Ramah. They presented their case. Look, you're an old man and your sons aren't following in your footsteps. 
Here's what we want you to do. Appoint a king to rule us just like everybody else. So the key features of this scripture here is what we want you to do and just like everybody else. What a limited thought process. We know what's best. Yes, let's just do things like everybody else does. Isn't that the exact opposite of how God works? Does God ever work in the limitations of replication? No way. He works in the limitless realms of creation. Where we replicate, God creates. But God warns the elders about their request and the very foundation of Saul's appointment is built on the basis of thinking that they know better than God. And this is the characteristic that follows Saul um, into what he li- how he lives and how he acts by. Point two, when we steal the victory. You know, Saul's story begins well. Like a lot of other figures of the Bible, he, he cannot see why God would choose him, but I'm only a Benjamite, yada, yada, yada. Why are you talking to me like this, etc., etc. But of course, when the Spirit of God falls on Saul, he begins to prophesy, and the majority of people recognize him as their leader. However, let's now look at where the story goes. As I said earlier, the foundation of Saul's appointment was based on a position of we know better than God. So let's look at what happens to Saul. In chapter 15, God gives Saul the victory over Amalek. But verse 9 says, Saul and the army made an exception for Agag and for, choice, for the choice sheep and cattle. They didn't include them under the terms of the holy ban. The glory of the defeat was stolen by Saul, who altered the original plan to suit his own needs and desires because he thought he knew better than God himself and so he altered the original plan. But of course, he doesn't get away with it. And when Samuel realizes how God feels about Saul's change of plans, he says in verse 22, not doing what God tells you is far worse than fooling around in the occult. Getting self-important around God is far worse than making deals with your dead ancestors. Because you said no to God's command, he says no to your kingship. Self-importance, thinking you know better, self-righteous and gaining your own glory, convincing yourself that you know better, all ultimately takes the victory and the glory away from God himself because you're placing yourself at the centre of the game. But the worst part for Saul is imagine being told by God himself that he regretted putting you in charge. Imagine if we become so self-important and continually taking away the glory from God. He says, I'm sorry I ever used you. I should have looked somewhere else and chosen someone who was more humble and had a heart after me, who didn't change my plans for self-gain and self-purpose and and had done exactly what I'd asked them to do. And guess what? That's precisely what happened. Point three, when we cease to be part of the future. So as we know, God does look for a replacement 
after Saul and finds one in David, who David is known, of course, as the man after God's own heart. And he defeats Goliath and finds incredible favour with Saul at the beginning. But it's not until we see David rise to power and become head of the military operations in Saul's army that he begins to fall out of favour with Saul. But don't forget the characteristic that followed Saul. Firstly, he was appointed, put in charge because people thought they knew better than God. Then the second part that led Saul out of favour with God is because he felt he was self-important and started to change God's plans. And once more, we see the same characteristic emerging, a desire for self-gratification and affirmation and personal glory because in the last example, God shows Saul exactly what it is like to be overlooked and for others to take the glory away from the king. In this, in this case, a, a, a human king, he was, the glory was taken away from Saul. In chapter 18, verse 6, it says, As they returned home, after, sorry, as they returned home, comma, breathe, after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out all the villages of Israel singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive songs and lutes. In playful frolic, the women sang, Saul kings, kills by the thousand, David by the ten thousand. This made Saul angry, very angry. I love it. They just kind of put an extra statement in there. He took it as a personal insult. I love God. I just love him because he just, it's just incredible. He reveals in us the very thing that we don't deal with and let go of. And I love in this particular case, he actually turns it on Saul and says, this is what it feels like to take away the glory. Saul clearly was still searching for accolades and continued to take the glory for all that he had done without recognising that his leadership and kingship had been given to him directly from God. You know what? The glory was never his to begin with. When we give God all the credit and all the room, there is naturally no room for us, no room for ourselves. But it's when we take the glory away from him and it becomes more about us and less about God, more about our wants, our needs, our desires, our feelings, our emotional fulfilment, our purposes, our plans, our ambitions and our thoughts, exactly in opposition to what the Bible talks about in John 3.33. He must become greater, I must become less. Recently, mum got me watching um, Genius, the show about Einstein with Jeffrey Rush. Has anyone seen that here? Yeah, a few people? Great, let me just take us for your water. It's a great show, I recommend it. It's intense. It's not like you feel good, happy, I'm just going to turn off my brain and watch telly kind of series. But it shows how Einstein spent hours posing questions um, about life and obviously formulating theories and equations to address you know, time, mass, and ultimately the theory of special relativity, which we know as E equals. You're geniuses yourselves, here you are. Um, but what it also shows is how instrumental 
his first wife, Maleva, was, who was just as intelligent, if not more so at the start, because she actually um, got a higher score in the entrance exam to the university um, that uh, Einstein was a part of. But, they spe- but she spent hours and hours on mathematical equations. When she put her kids down to sleep, she'd be working with Einstein and proofreading his papers and asking him to consider this and just making sure everything was on point. Um, but when Einstein started to get the recognition for his theories, he gave no credit at all to Maleva and took all the glory for the work. He relished in the victory and became so self-centred and self-important that he failed to give credit where credit was due. We love that. We've heard that saying before, credit where credit was due. However, this very same equation that was in his mind his greatest achievement was his greatest undoing as this equation ultimately built the atomic bomb. Einstein was forever attributed to the construction of and registered with the belief that he brought about the nuclear age, a potential of world destruction, and spent the majority of his last years discrediting the belief, this disbelief and restoring his reputation as a physicist. Don't be left holding the bomb. If we take all the credit and diminish the glory of God, the greatest triumph in our minds can turn out to be our greatest failure. If we use the plans of God to fulfill our own needs and our wants and desires. That's what Einstein did. He used the best of someone to fulfill his own plans. Saul too was left holding the bomb of his past. Forever known as the man tormented by his personal insecurities his failure to let go and his need for personal gratification. His greatest triumphs and victories became his greatest failure as a human being. You know, God will look elsewhere to get the job done. He can't use someone who is filled more with themselves and their own self-importance than with God. If there's more of you in your heart and less of God, then your focus isn't solely God's will, but it becomes like a tainted focus. It's God's will for your own self-improvement. We're so good at taking for our own selves. You know, life does offer up a plethora of opportunities, experiences, decisions and directions, but ultimately is up to us to make the choice to seek God first in these instances or to seek self. How do we do that? Great question. In fact, it was Pastor Greg, and I'm... I'm lucky he's not here today because he's got a lot to answer for because he asked me this question in the week. He said, Annalie, what are you preaching about on Sunday? Can you say it in a, in a question? I said, yeah, sure, that's easy. My question would be, do we live all for his glory? It's like, a great question, Annalie. That's really good. So what's the answer to your question? And I thought, I don't know. I said to him, well, when you find out, Greg, let me know. I'm preaching on Sunday, so you've only got a few days to come up with the answer for me. But the truth is, I don't know. I don't know the answer to the question because I'm at the start of this declaration for my year. Ask me in 12 months' time, I might have some more ideas or tips or tricks or tools that will work for me, but I actually don't know the complete answer to that question. I do know this, though. I know where I'm going to start. I'm going to start in prayer. I'm going to start seeking God. I'm also going to be more disciplined. I'm going to do some Bible study this year. This is what I'm going to do in order to help 
make this intentional in my life. But I don't know. But that's where I'm starting. Great question. How do we give God all the glory in the daily aspects of life? It's kind of a spiritual dichotomy in a way because we engage in daily undertakings because God wants us to live and have life. But that could just look like grocery shopping, school, paying bills, working. It's just life. Yet how do we make this all about him? And then when we work hard at something to gain personal satisfaction and credit, how do we turn this into a moment to glorify his name when there's nothing wrong with receiving a bit of a pat on the back? I'm not entirely sure. I'm certainly not saying that we take an unrealistic approach and be a bit like Pollyanna and see the glass half full and, you know, praise him every day. Well, we do praise him every day, but, you know, live in that mindset or bang your tambourine or spend hours in a tent worshipping God. It, you know, or we can't be the other side of the coin where we're a bit of a Uriah heap about it and I'm too humble to accept any accolades. I don't know the balance is there. You have to juggle it. But without God, remember this, without God, you are nothing. Your next breath is not even your own and that's something I saw tangibly last year. One minute you're here, one minute you're not. By the grace of God, he gives us our next breath. And it's never your glory that you're seeking to increase, but it's his glory that is always rightfully declared. I'd say that, yes, my head goes about daily doing the things I need to do and doing life, but my heart knows the origins of my created self, my genesis, my creation. I know where it's come from. It recognises that there is nothing I can do in this life without God's help and God's grace. My next breath comes from him and him alone. And if I have this ingrained within my heart, then I'm starting off in a pretty good position to let God do his thing and to let me be part of his awesome plan. Now it comes about in the most, I'm just sort of this example, just right while I'm standing here, the most random of cases. I was, I'm just doing a bit of a retail work um, just until I go back to teaching um, at a store at Doncaster. You should pop in, help me on a Thursday night, meet my quota. <laughs> no, just kidding. But um, not really, but yes, I um, But anyway, this night I was helping my boss. She was just there and just doing the changeover and a lady walked in. And her head was just downcast. She's like, I'm turning 40. Oh, I don't fit into anything anymore. I can't believe I'm hitting 40. Blah, blah. She's going on and on. And my manager, who you'd think we'd want the sale, we'd want to push the, push the budget up, she said, take, take it elsewhere. If you're not going to be happy in your skin and celebrate the fact that you've got another birthday, then go. And isn't that the case though? We get so caught, oh, this, uh, but she said, the fact, this is my manager telling me, I'll, I'll just laugh. She said, she doesn't realise how lucky she is to have another birthday, to have another breath. And I'm like, God, this is amazing. This is exactly what I'm speaking, I wanted to say, this is exactly what I'm speaking about. God, do you know Jesus? He's, you know. Um, but I had to keep a rein on it because I'm at work and I didn't know how far I could push it. But she told this woman to change her attitude. Be grateful for the next breath. So if people of the world get it, why are we so just stuck in the thing? Oh, another day, another day, you know. But to change, to have another breath and know it's from God himself. His grace, he's given us a chance to have another day, another breath. 
Just let's celebrate that. That's, the, that's what we're talking about. Know that my next breath is from God himself. Um, I don't know why I share that, but it was funny because I couldn't believe she sort of told her to go. And this is only in the business of getting people anyway. Um, so then I told everyone to go that night when she left, like, oh, go away. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, anyway, I guess I'm reflecting, trying to bring it back, pull the reins in. Reflecting on Saul's life, he did so desperately want God to walk with him. He wanted that. That's what Saul did seek. He wanted to walk with God. As he says to Samuel, don't abandon me. Support me with your presence before the leaders and the people. Come alongside me as I go back to worship God. But he just didn't get it. He continued to take the best bits of God to support his own need for personal satisfaction and gratification. And when I just look at this opportunity that this year presents to live all for his glory, it's not only confronting and challenging, but if I'm completely honest, it's actually really, really hard. But I'm so grateful for another chance. I'm so grateful to the grace of God who forgives, like John said. He, he, that's, that's why I can breathe. That's why I can live. Because he has given me a second chance to show that I am all for his glory. That my heart speaks to his glory, to his beautiful glory. Another breath and a new year. A new year. I love that we get New Year's, don't you? It's like, a, oh, turn the page on that one, kick it in the butt, see you later, 2017. Hello, 2018. Um, but to draw a line in the sand and to move into the future where God is waiting for me. God's not waiting in your past. He's not even kind of waiting for you in the present, really, because present just, oh, there goes a second. There's another one. Go on. So I can't say he's, he is in the present, but he's not kind of, but he's waiting for you in your future. He's welcoming you into the future. He's waiting for you in your future. So if you're sitting here today, this is a bit of a time to stop and process. Thinking that, I don't know, just thinking about life and what it can present to you and what opportunities. If you're thinking that you have missed a moment, if you're thinking you want a fresh start, or you want to frame the year with making it more about God. It's time to look at the heart and see what the heart is saying. Is your gauge right? Is there less of you and more of God? It's never too late. It's not too late. I had a birthday this week. It's never too late. So it's just like looking at and starting afresh. I'm, this is it. This is, the, this is the year all for his glory. If you want to, like me take on one of the biggest challenges of living all for his glory this year then I'd, I'd ask you and I'm going to pray in a minute to pray it from your heart speak it from your heart make more room for God in your heart you know, I've also asked a team to come up they're going, to, they're going to play for me Beneath the Waters that song, that bridge where it talks about giving him all the glory and as a declaration, as an anthem to start off, to kickstart the new year to say God no one can steal your glory for it is yours alone. And if you don't know my Jesus, if you don't know my God and you think there's something in this that I, I want a purpose and I want a plan, I want direction, then if that's you today, I'd also want to pray for you. We've got gift packs um, to help get you started and there's teams that will pray for you. But if you're not sure and you think, I don't want to live 
like I, I have lived in the past. I want it to be new. And when I got this message, when I said to God, when he revealed to me that I was thinking these things, I could have walked away. I could have thought, thought, oh, well, I'll try again tomorrow, Lord. But I thought, no, I do not want to be the same person I was before God called my attention. I do not want to be that person that criticizes or takes anything away from the glory of my God. And I've got an investment in heaven now. I want to see my father again. So it's a bigger purpose and a bigger plan. I want to be, I want to always reveal God's glory. I want to always point back. Because if my father in heaven, my God welcomed my earthly father, had the grace to welcome him through heaven's gates, I don't want it to be anything about me on earth. I want it to be all for him. Thank you, God. So if that's you today, then I ask you pray from your heart. There's a beautiful lady in the third row. I'm sorry. You're beautiful. You're so beautiful. Sitting next to Zan. I don't know you. I'm sorry to point you out, but you're beautiful. And I see in you. I, sorry. I see in you that your mouth has been closed for far too long. It's like it's been stitched up. I can see black on your lips, holding your mouth shut for too long. But God, like, God's saying to you, put your, put your heavenly robes on, sweetheart. Put your robe of glory on because it's going to be your year. It's time to speak, to open your mouth. and not. I think people have been holding your mouth closed, forcing it shut. But God is just put like, you know, those big red royal rose with the big fur on the bottom and the black dots. That's on you now. God is putting a royal robe on you and saying, this is your year. Time to speak up. You're beautiful. You are so beautiful. And I'm sure Zan can peace in the, the moments. And I'm just going to pray now. And then we're going to launch. We're going to just lift the roof of this place, if it's okay, and sing that bridge from the heart. But let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, you are magnificent. You are awesome, God. And I could never even fathom the depths of your heart and your level of understanding. But I pray today, Lord God, that as we move into 2018, Lord God, that our hearts resonate and make it all about you. That this entire year is dedicated to establishing the glory of God on this earth. That it's not about us, that our hearts are emptied because it's filled by you, Lord God. There's no room for us, Lord God, this year, but it is all about you. We live all for your glory. It is your glory and yours alone. No one can steal it. I thank you, Lord, for this congregation of people that will take this message and birth it in the world, Lord God. That you challenge us and you extend us and you, you extend our capacity, Lord God, to know things that we've never known before because you decide to fill our hearts and, and extend it for your glory, Lord God. You are awesome, Jesus. Thank you so much for everything and then some. In your name we pray. Amen.